You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church Psalm in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said, I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 116, I got three reasons why I chose this for for this Sunday. Um, Generally, we've got all of our Bible texts planned like years in advance, this sermon series in the Psalms for this year, I'm just taking it a week at a time. And uh, it's not ideal, Um, but it does mean that um, the Psalms that I'm choosing are kind of feel pertinent to current situations. So here's three reasons why I chose this Psalm that have to do with the, the, the week that I've been having this week or the time that we're living in right now. First one is, the psalm corrects the kind of unbiblical, unchristian behavior that I've been exhibiting over the past couple of weeks. Juicy. Uh, I'll get to to that in a second. Um, Secondly, uh, this psalm is what's called a hallel psalm. Um, Hallel meaning praise, that's hallelujah, praise the Lord, Yahweh, hallelujah. they're Hallel Psalms, and, and they're Passover Hallel Psalms. So they're, they're the Psalms that Jews would sing during the Passover to, as kind of by way of praise, thanksgiving to God. So when Jesus and his disciples, before they go out to the Mount of Olives, they, it says in the Gospels they sang some Psalms or a Psalm, a song. The, this is the Psalm. These are the Psalms they would have sung. A few Psalms called Passover Hallel Psalms. So this is on Jesus' lips as he prepares for his betrayal. Um, that 
is pertinent for us today because Passover for, for the Jews was the beginning of the year. And so I thought, since it's still the first month of the year, we're kind of launching into the year, it would be appropriate for us to begin with a, uh, an Israelite New Year song, a psalm of praise. Uh, and finally, it's kind of pertinent because the first church service that ever took place after uh, British settlement, uh, which we celebrate this week with Australia Day on the 26th, the first sermon that was preached was from Psalm 116. And so all of it just seemed to point in the right direction for, um, for opening it up this morning. Now, the unbiblical behavior that, uh, that this psalm seeks to correct, I hope not just in me, but in all of us, if God has his way with us this morning, is, um, is this. I've spent the last couple of weeks uh, unbiblically suppressing my feelings of grief, sadness, anger, anxiety at the Veal family leaving us. This is not, I'm not being melodramatic. This isn't some kind of like rhetorical flourish. I have been feeling genuine feelings of dismay because these friends of ours have been living with us for a decade now and they're precious to us. And now they're going. They're leaving us. I find it very grievous. And my response to feelings of grief, uh, almost subconsciously, I mean, almost like not even, it's not even my fault, I guess, but I want to own it. My response to those feelings is simply to push them away before they can even touch me. To suppress them. To do anything but face them or accept them, or process them, never mind pray through them. And so that behavior, that kind of behavior, which is sort of fairly common to to my culture, British culture, stiff upper lip, Australian culture, she'll be right, like that kind of what is actually very immature behavior is unbiblical. Now, there are many religions that will try and tell you that your response to any kind of feelings should be to suppress them. Some whole religions are devoted to getting you in a place where you don't feel pain or happiness, as if that's some kind of level of enlightened being. But it's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't blush in the face of tears. Christianity doesn't try and hide genuine feelings, even really dark ones. The Bible encourages us both to experience them and to express them. And that's what the psalmist, the songwriter, the artist is doing for us in this passage this morning. The Bible doesn't pretend. I love that about the Bible. Even the shameful things that it has in its closet, the embarrassing things, the skeletons that makes it look bad, it puts on display so that it would be clear to all that God is glorious in spite of who we are. Listen to the way this, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but the way the artist writes, the realism. Okay, I've just sort of pulled out some some aspects of this psalm that are that speak of his gut-wrenching experience, okay? The ropes of death were wrapped around me, he said. The torments of Sheol, or the grave, 
overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. I was helpless, tears, stumbling. I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. The traditional rendering of that last line is, all men are liars, which I know some of you have as your, as your life verse. That was a joke. <laughs> and I definitely wasn't just looking at the single ladies, all right? I, I kept my, I was looking up there. This is how he feels. Not only are my circumstances dire, but people are terrible. They're tormenting me, they're oppressing me, they're lying to me. This is his experience. And all of this features in something called a psalm of praise. So mature faith has as its feature and sort of emotional spectrum that takes in both despair and thanksgiving. And the Psalms paint in every color from black through to white. So I want us to be corrected. If you're like me and you're either experiencing this or some other kind of, like, just let me ask, how is 2023 going for you so far? Thumbs down. I don't know, some of you might be having a great year. There's plenty of reasons to be enjoying the, you know, like the first new year we've had for a while without this impending doom of lockdowns and looking over our shoulder, pandemic. Our family has had a terrible time. Every minute of every hour of every day, it feels like. From New Year's Day when Renee's car was broken into, that New Year's Eve, Right the way through to today, in, in, to the point now where we're just, when stuff happens inevitably every waking minute, we just say, huh, 2023. If that's the case for you and you've experienced some level of anxiety or fear, grief, sadness, pain, oppression, then I hope this artist, by the power of God's spirit that inspired it, would show you a better way to respond. Here's how the psalmist responds to his grief. Ready? Verse 3 to 4 says this. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. That's his response. Simple. Not simplistic and not easy, but simple. A simple response to crushing circumstances. Lord, save me. It reminded me of the exact words that Peter said as he's sinking beneath the waves. He's made this attempt to follow his Lord in walking on the waters, and then he freaks out a little bit. And as he's sinking, he says, Lord, save me. So simple. 
an expression of trust, of helplessness, desperation. Lord, save me. Now, the question is, if it's that simple and every kid from Eli up in this church today can understand that that is a good response to living difficult experiences, that is a simple, memorable, repeatable, why don't we do it then? Why isn't our first response? So often, our first response is not to simply, as we're sinking beneath the waves, say, Lord, save me. I got three reasons. I'm sure there's 33. Three reasons we don't cry out for help. Number one, we believe God doesn't care. Number two, we believe that we're not worthy of his help. And number three, we believe that God can't be trusted to save us. This psalm corrects all three of those misapprehensions. Those those are lies. Lies that are very easy to believe, particularly when we're in the midst of suffering. So, let me just allow the psalm and the psalmist, through his song, to correct us on this, all right? First of all, looking at verse 5, to correct this assertion, this misapprehension, God doesn't care. The psalmist says, even he who has suffered greatly, right? He says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. If you think about that for a second, that is a staggering thing to say. God is compassionate. To be compassionate means that you suffer with those who are suffering. Passion meaning suffering. We celebrate Jesus' passion as he dies on the cross. Passion, com, meaning with, to suffer with someone. The idea that God suffers with us is astonishing. To some religions, it's blasphemous. God would suffer. Outrageous. For us, it's at the very center of our faith. God is compassionate. God looks at your suffering and he suffers with you. His heart goes out towards those who are suffering, if anything, in a sort of greater measure than those who are living their best life now. God's heart is sort of magnetized to those who are in difficulty I refer to this so often, but I just can't help it. My mind goes to it so often. The painting in our foyer, the painting of the prodigal son being embraced by his father, that story I think is the most profound story I've ever read in any book ever. Jesus' parable of the lost son. just going to assume that you know it. If you don't, come and I'll give you a rendering of it afterwards. I would love to share it with you. But this story of a son who rejects his father, takes his money, goes to a distant country, squanders it on shameful living. 
And eventually, with his tail between his legs, that great walk of shame makes his way back to his family's house. And the response of the father to the son is shocking. It's outrageous. It's astonishing. Jesus says that God is like the father who, well, let's read it from Luke's gospel. The son, the prodigal son, got up, went to his father. But while the the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with what? Compassion. He hurt for him. And he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And I love the Greek there because the grammar is he kissed him and didn't stop kissing him. Just showering him with kisses. This wayward, rebellious son who did everything he could to show the father that he hates him and the father responds with compassion. God sees us in our suffering and he's drawn to us not just like in a oh that's that's you know that's cute not that kind of, but drawn to us like run down the road drawn to us I'll never get over that story it reads like my autobiography It's astonishing that God is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. Grace is unmerited favor. You've done nothing to deserve this. He is gracious and righteous, perfect in every way in his judgments. Our God is compassionate. We need to hear that correction whenever we think in the midst of our suffering, God doesn't care for me. It's easy to think maybe this is happening because God hates me. Or he's just forgotten about me. Maybe he's like the deistic gods. So much of Christianity, people who call themselves Christians really believe in this deist God where he's, yeah, he created all things, but he disappeared a long time ago. It's up to us now. God helps them that helps themselves, right? Nonsense. God is here. He sees you. He has compassion. It's really interesting that son, as he comes to his senses and thinks, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to risk it. Going back home is better than being here feeding pigs. This is what it says a few verses before he goes back. When that son, the lost son, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. This is another reason we don't cry out, God, save me. Lord, save me. Because we believe that. I'm no longer worthy. 
Maybe you're in this mess because of terrible decisions you made. And so a natural response is to think, I need to get myself out of this mess. Can't call on God. If he's a good parent, he'll just come and say, well, you got yourself into it. Time for you to, lose, to learn a lesson. The psalmist says in verse 6, The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless and he saved me. Now here's the thing about this correction. The Bible is not going to correct you if you say to yourself, I'm unworthy of God's love. You know why? Because it's true. You are unworthy of God's love. I am unworthy of God's love. Judah this last week had this moment of righteous indignation where he saw someone who was doing the wrong thing and he said, that person doesn't, doesn't, that person doesn't deserve to go to heaven. And I was like, you're right. And neither do I. And neither do you. None of us is worthy God's not going to come and save us on the basis of our worthiness. The problem isn't saying, I am unworthy of God's love. The problem is saying, therefore, he won't save me. We've got the equation wrong. The problem is not saying, I am unworthy of God's love. The problem is saying, therefore, he will not help me. The truth is, the prerequisite for God helping you is your unworthiness. Ha! Huh. Do you get that? The, the whole reason that he runs down the road to embrace you, forgive you, adopt you, save you, redeem you, is because you're unworthy. It's because you're helpless. I think related, something related, a kind of 2.B to this whole thing is not just we feel unworthy, but we also feel like we need to fix this for ourselves. And on both counts, we get it all wrong. We make ourselves the center of everything instead of looking at God and saying, Lord, help me. I am helpless, help me. What is it that makes us disbelieve that God will help us in our helplessness? A few weeks ago, my wife Renee was at a petrol station just up the road here, filling up her truck, which takes like 10 minutes because it's so big. Uh, but she was yeah, just there filling up and she saw a huge line out the door of people. She's like, oh man, I'm in a rush. Something's gone wrong. The, I don't know, the cash register's broken or something. And as she was still filling up, we're about 10 minutes in now, she's still filling up, a, a lady comes out from the building in tears. And so she kind of just leaves 
leaves the thing and goes to the woman and says, are you, you okay? And she, and she said, no, I'm not okay. And it turns out that she had run out of petrol somewhere down the road and had made it to the petrol station with her $17, I think, in cash. But in order to get some petrol, she was going to have to buy a jerry can, which is 20 bucks, and so she was in trouble. Uh, my wife's superpower is her compassion. She suffers with everyone. It's a blessing and a curse. I mean, like, a, a wounded bird is on the road somewhere and she suddenly feels like a wounded bird. Like, it's just like, there's no barrier. I've got all kinds of barriers to stop me feeling anything, but she's just like, she's open. And so she just has compassion. Says, you know, I'll, I'll buy the jerry can, no problem. This woman was floored by the idea that someone would do that for her. Isn't that sad? What a state of affairs. Or the line of, I don't know, 20 people that she had to walk past who didn't see her and feel compassion. God sees us in our helplessness and his response is not disgust. He sees us in our helplessness and it's the prerequisite for his action in redeeming us. So next time you're in trouble and you think to yourself, I can't call on God because I'm not worthy, wrong. You can call on God because you're unworthy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, so there's a couple of things that get corrected. What's my third thing? It's in verse seven. It's in verse seven. God can't be trusted. Well, this is a real nutty one, a real naughty one, a real something, a real insidious one, a real pernicious one. This one goes to the heart of all of our fears and our self-protective mechanisms and probably our daddy wounds. I'm in trouble, I'm helpless, but God can't be trusted. The psalmist says, return to your rest, my soul. Do not fear, do not be anxious. Return to your rest, my soul, preaches to himself. For the Lord has been good to you. This is very profound. One of the most important things for a Christian to understand in order for us to be the kind of people who trust in God implicitly through all circumstances, even when we've been hurt, even when we've been disappointed in the past, in order for us to do that, we have to cultivate, and by this I mean like preach to ourselves, speak to your soul. The psalmist does this all the time. Speak to your soul. What was it Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, who said that the, the seed of so many of our problems is that we listen, that we, um, Listen to ourselves instead of speak to ourselves. I think it said something like that. Right, you've got to preach to yourself. You've got to be a preacher. You've got to say, soul, 
rest. For the Lord has been good to you. Remember that? Remember, this is a Passover psalm. What's the purpose of Passover? Celebrate Passover every year so that you have a perpetual memory that God is good, gracious, our Redeemer, our Savior. He brought us out of Egypt. And, and, and God knows, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. God knows that we harden our hearts, we, we, we stiffen our necks, we, we, right, we, we forget. And so he says, remember, 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 every Passover, make it a festival, make it a ritual. Every other week, share the Lord's Supper, make it a ritual. Every day, preach the sermon to yourself, make it a ritual. The Lord has been good to you. That's why he kicks off the whole thing, verse 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy, because he has turned his ear to me in the past. I will call out to him as long as I live. On the basis of what he has done, the future is settled in my mind. I will cry out to him. Remember that time when the ropes were wrapped around my neck and Sheol was like a gaping mouth about to swallow me? He saved me. Therefore, I will call out to him. My wife says it like this. She says, we've got to, in the good times, right, in the easy times, in the green pastures, beside quiet waters, we, we, she says we need to cultivate trust in God then so that when the stuff hits the fan, then it's already on your lips. God is good to me. I can trust him. Lord, save me. Yeah. I love it at the end of all those superannuation ads. It says something like... uh, past performance is not a a reliable indicator of future performance or something like that, disclaimer. That's not true of God. The opposite is true of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is changeless. He's not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly feel no compassion for you. He's not going to suddenly find, like Thor without his hammer, that he's got no power. God has been faithful. God will be faithful. Therefore, we can trust him. Preaching to myself. This is the kind of God we worship, guys. A God of compassion, suffering with us. A God who delights to help the helpless. I love that. that pa- the passage in Romans 5 has been in my brain. like just It's been e- like an earworm for me for the last month. I probably quoted it to you if we've caught up at some point in the last month. Here, like, let me just remind you of Romans chapter 5. This is what it says about Jesus and what he did for us. 
while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, the unworthy. Rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves. He proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why they call it good news. That's why it's impossible for anyone in... Everyone look at me for a second. Because I think there's probably at least one person in this room, maybe more, who believe that they are beyond the reach of God's mercy. either because God is not who he says he is or because they are exactly who they know they are. And I just need you to know that no one is beyond the reach of God's mercy. That's why it's mercy. That's why it's grace. It's salvation because we need saving. If you're here today and you are sinking beneath the waters, nostrils just above the tide, you need to know if you say from your heart, Lord, save me, he will rush to your aid. He will run down the road to meet you. He will rescue you, I promise. And the only reason I can promise is because it's God's nature to do so. He can't deny himself. So I don't know. When I'm done here, come down here. This space is for the helpless. This space is for the people who are sinking beneath the waves. All right? I'm just marking it out now. This safe, this space is for the sinners, for the wretched ones, for the prodigal sons, for those who want to come home and feel God's embrace, have him kiss them on the neck and never stop kissing them. When I'm done, when everyone else sings, you come down here. We'll celebrate. Now, all of this, this is my last thing, all right? All of this leads the, the artist to ask a question. He wants to ask the question in response to this God who has proved himself so many times, verse 12 How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? What can I do? Since I'm so far in his debt, since he's been so good to me in response to my evil, since he's adopted me and given me a place 
at his table? What can I do to repay him? His response is verse 17. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. His answer is, I will worship him. How can I repay God? I'm just going to worship him. I'm going to worship him with all that I have. I'm going to worship him according to the way that I know how. For us, I'm going to just reinterpret it a little bit in light of being new covenant people. No one's going to come up here, God willing, and sacrifice a goat. But what we do do in response to God's goodness is sacrifice ourselves. Paul says in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters in Caroline Springs, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Our vision for this church is that we will be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. That is, being living sacrifices every minute of every day, wherever we find ourselves, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. True worship. How can I repay God? Well, at one level, can't but that doesn't stop me from responding, and I respond with true worship. I am a living sacrifice. I want to pray now, but I'm going to invite you to pray with me. There's this really beautiful prayer, again, a few hundred years old, comes to us in our, from our Anglican prayer book, and it's a prayer of sort of commissioning as we leave this place and go out to live in such a way that we make all of life all about Jesus. In response to God's mercy and grace, his compassion, his salvation, this is what we pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, actually, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. No, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to read it and only pray it if you mean it. This is a powerful prayer. This is a good one. So if you're up for it, pray with me. Father, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work for your praise and glory. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing praises to God. We're going to take up a collection to fund the work of gospel ministry here. And if you are one of the ones that is wanting God to save you this morning, then please come out and pray. Let's sing.